We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to architects about what it's like working on projects for themselves. Our guest in this episode is Douglas Wan from WHDA Design and Architecture. Douglas shares with us why he decided to take on his own apartment renovation, deciding why a small apartment project for himself was the right choice, and shaping his apartment to suit the unique way he wants to live versus what we see in mass-produced apartments. I'll now pass over to Kimberly Huey, who is an Imagine Committee member based in Victoria. Let's jump in. Well, firstly, uh, thank you for inviting me to your beautiful house, which is your apartment for how many years now? 2018, so maybe coming on four years now. Mm. Yes, thank you for coming. <laughs> Obviously, I think the reason why I have you here today to be part of the Imagine Hearing Architecture podcast is because we are interviewing architects in terms of who have designed their houses and would love to engage in your process because I think there's that illusion or that glamour for those who study architecture or who are architects. There's that expectation that architects will evidently design their own homes mm -hmm. and I don't know how many architects have done that or how many designers have achieved that and I think the main question we'll just start the podcast with is how did designing your own home come about or like what suddenly sparked that idea of designing your own home? Yeah I guess uh, the spark is like studio units back then were somehow trending towards what what is the minimum amount of space mm -hmm. for programs such as hotels, hostels, student accommodation mm. that seemed to be a recurring theme of just the context that we were in in Melbourne Uni. Yeah. Right? Carlton and the C B D and the kind of network of smaller programs that spring up around catering for students at the time. Mm. So being a, a student from somewhere else, from coming from another country, mm. you always feel like you have a very light touch in Melbourne. At any time, you can pack up and go home. Yeah. At any time, an opportunity may come that you can go to a third country. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea that, oh yeah, I am not designing for someone else in studio. I'm designing for myself always. Mm -hmm. So... I think that was the additional element of, yeah, you know, every designer wants to eventually do something for themselves. Before we start getting into the details of this house, perhaps full context for the audience who are listening today, would you be able to quickly describe the layout of this house? Yeah, so the apartment is uh, 28 square meters. It's quite small and uh, roughly six and a half by four and a half meters. It used to be nurses' quarters in the 50s and it's a single loaded corridor, open corridor and you enter through the north side um, and there's only a series of windows on the north side and there's a single large window facing east. The plan of the apartment, it's a series of thirds, right? There's a few layers of um, arranging 
um, elements in thirds. So the starting point was this was going to be one third, let's say, uh, services, and then mm -hmm. two thirds living space. And then the services itself are divided into another series of thirds. So the kitchen, the threshold, and the bathroom. And there's sort of this um, expression of these thirds in the internal elevation, which is a bit of a, a tiny joke for the space because it does make the space seem a bit monumental if you have that kind of symmetry right through the center as you look back towards the entry. There you can see the kind of the symmetry of the servery and the bookshelf. And so it is kind of a, a tiny joke in that, you know, you have this really small space and then there's this big element of the joinery um, mm. that's always present in. And so you can also see, you know, like the cupboards are also divided into thirds, you know, where there's this big um, plywood piece behind me. We've also introduced like a shadow, a shadow line through the middle so that we also have the series of thirds running mm -hmm. through the panel. So it's this um, small tricks, let's say, to kind of reinforce geometry of, mm -hmm. the, of the intent. And so there are also these, yeah, talking about field of depth, you want to take a advantage of the existing openings but you also want to frame them in a way that you know it's a successive series of views mm -hmm. so the elements that i introduce kind of reinforce the framing that's already there seeing you know branches through a window and then that window through another frame before that so you kind of elongate the space even mm -hmm. though it's not that long you elongate the kind of feeling through these um, series of frames. Mm -hmm. How much has it changed from its original apartment? Talk to us about what was it like prior to the whole big renovation? The existing plan of the apartment. As you come in through the front door, you mm -hmm. can enter in through a kind of a galley kitchen, but quite large. And that this kitchen has enough space for a single run of bench top and also some seating space where you can, you know, I... I Imagine people would invite one or two guests over. You could sit in this quite large kitchen. And there's sort of this L-shaped entry into the larger space, which feels a little bit exposed. So most previous tenants, I heard, they would introduce a screen or some kind of furniture element to screen that larger space from the front door. As you come in through the main space, there's also a door into the bathroom, which was quite generous. And the bathroom took up nearly a quarter of the the plan actually so that felt quite generous for the time and this bathroom had an actual bath right you <laughs> know so luxury in small spaces right but it did feel a little feel a little disproportionate for the overall square area of the space mm -hmm. so it is like a game of tetris where if you move just one element out of the way or if you add another element then the rest of the pieces sort of would fall into place and become and feel more generous and feel larger. So in this case, you know, if we reduce the bathroom to its minimum requirements, then the whole space sort of feels much more generous. Right? And of course, the existing window. When I first saw the, the large window, I was like, this is a projector screen. And I measured the, the width of the space. I was like, this is the perfect throw for a projector. I'm going to design the whole um, living space around this throw. Mm -hmm. And today I can tell you it's like a three meter by three meter television screen. 
cinema <laughs> screen in the space. It has saved me through lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, this was before I visited your apartment. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember which side of the wall had like was an opportunity for a projector. So I was trying to understand like where would you be sitting in order to like have a decent view because if you had to. Because just thinking about the configuration, obviously you'd be sitting on the platform that you are designing, right? But where would you be turning your head? Like, it would be weird if you sit off-center. That didn't make sense because I thought your wall that you were projecting to was, like, to where your desk was. But then <laughs> but then when you told me it was the blinds, I'm like, oh, I did not think about that. It, it's quite fascinating how that was your main priority as well. Yeah, so, it seems quite instinctual, quite... right? Like you project mm-hmm. onto a blank wall, like a you know mm-hmm. a, a blank space in an apartment. And I was like, mm. oh, you know, uh, I'd seen other the other units where some someone had stripped the the walls of all its render and mm-hmm. brought it back to brick. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's such a clever thing to bring back some texture into the apartment, into yeah. the internals of the apartment. And it functions the same, almost the same way as a window. Like, you know, the projector screen is sort of a, a, le- a lens out into a view, almost. Yeah. And by using blinds, you know, it's kind of a mundane trick. But by using the blinds, it sort of becomes invisible. Like, there isn't the indication of, yeah, it's, you know, there's no TV in the space. I don't know, modern architecture photos, you don't see a TV in the space. It's refreshing to hear that you've just, your priority, like, the media is so, how do I say, it's so fluid, so the projection of it being fluid that you can just turn it off and then the notion of that screen disappears completely and you can just have it back on. I guess it's kind of a happy medium, right? Like it's invisible Mm -hmm. in a way. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not lying to yourself that, oh, you know, I don't watch TV and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like I do, I do enjoy... uh, the immersion. So apart from other hidden elements that you have talked about, like with the projector being a hidden element and then our discussion with having media as a home, I would like you to explain to us about the other hidden elements of the house. And this is mainly because suddenly I see them talk about the joinery. So it's not as much as the joinery aspect of things, but rather it is the space itself and how they orientate use, for instance, because that is what they prioritize. And I think what is so poignant about your project is it's the whole piece itself because I feel like it's one whole unit that sits in or that is customly slotted into the apartment and it just works so well with the fluidity of the space. So like the transition from entrance to the wet area for like that whole huge release that you have in the living area slash bedroom slash study or flashes that you can name in your spaces. And yeah, I would love for you to expand a little bit about that. So we, th- we think of this joinery piece as one big piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. You know, we're using the one material, it's plywood, straddles, kitchen, the, the threshold, and the main space. So you see this continue, continuous piece of material. Mm-hmm. And there are also, you know, like design tricks that are familiar to most architects. Like you go floor to ceiling, finishes, you know, You've got this black shroud of the of the kitchen as you come in, so you're kind of in this compressive space, and then the compressive space pulls your eye through because it's light beyond, and then you kind of expand from a darker, smaller space into a, a bigger, 
lighter space. So there is this bit of uh, compression and expansion, you know, because we're not designing the building per se. We're, we're designing, we're doing this through joinery, we're doing this through mm-hmm. finishes, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these things are kind of familiar territory, you know, long unbroken lines where you can from floor to ceiling, um, from wall to wall. The tiles continue across the kitchen, the same tiles and the same format of the gridded squares continue from the kitchen underneath the threshold into the bathroom. So you do feel like, you know, there's, there's an extension of space. And the mirror, like, you know, this very pedestrian trick of mirrors double space, right? <laughs> but I, I don't feel comfortable using mirrors just for the express purpose. But, you know, you don't put mirrors all over your living mm-hmm. room just because they make your living room feel bigger. But where, where there should be a mirror, like in a bathroom, you make them make them work for their you know for their existence <laughs> so the mirror actually doubles the feeling of depth in in the entry something i've always been curious about is perhaps like has it always been an interest for you to design something at this scale because generally when i if you think about media portrayals and media representations of architects i'm talking about the pop culture media so like you always see the architect in movies, they always design these really grand houses, like two stories, a spiral staircase, if not my favorite, which is the lake house. And to suddenly being shown this, well, more like to witness this influx of small design, like tiny living typology. So, so that was quite refreshing for me to see. And then I guess for me as well, encountering your apartment, in comparison to other architects' house that I've seen, it was really nice to see that scale of architecture as well. So one thing I wanted to know is, has it always been this small scale or did you consider other scales prior to that and what influenced this change or this decision to tackle this apartment? That was a fantastic point. Yeah. It's almost the, about when the point you made about the lake house. It's almost like, oh, you know, it's Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and, and the yeah. wide expanse of glass, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right about architecture in popular culture. And now, of course, you know, there's also the depictions of really future spaces. We think of mm-hmm. the future, you know, we think of this lake house typology as quite timeless. But then also we think of the future of spaces that are not quite architecture. But it's quite alluring. Mm-hmm. You know, when you watch uh, Blade Runner, you know, Deckard's apartment, or you watch, you know, The Fifth Element, and it's Bruce Willis's gadget-filled apartment, mm-hmm. which is like this coffin space that things pop out of. Yeah, so we did a unit in studio mm-hmm. where we were sort of exploring the hotel typology and, and how uh, the explorer of the city kind of engage with the hotel room as a starting point and having an experiential journey through the city. So I sort of thought of my starting point of individual in Melbourne from that point as well. And it was reinforced when I visited Michael Roper's apartment in the Cairo Flats, which mm. I, I recall was sort of cinematic as well. Like uh, they had a write-up on it called The Purple Rose of Cairo. And... When we visited it, I was like, oh, you know, this is perfect. This is simple. Simplicity uh, defined, you know, minimal changes to 
So the idea, you know, it's the continuation of the idea of the apartments, right? That it was going to be a starting point of the transient intellectual worker, you know, like the writers, the architects, the um, artists who will come to the city, be here for a while and then move on. So I felt like he designed his um, piece of genre as like a suitcase, like, mm. like a showpiece with the curtains and the fold-out beds. And that was quite beautiful. So I thought, you know, uh, is there a way I can not copy but do something similar or, you know, I always saw myself as living that lifestyle, continuing on from being a student, going from somewhere else, and then potentially maybe moving on in the future. I do remember when I first saw the video of this apartment being constructed, like one of the things you were very nervous about talking was installation of that theme. Yeah. <laughs> because wasn't there, if I remember correctly, I forgot what size the apartment is, but you did describe it having a load-bearing wall, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Took a lot of guts to take it out, I would say. Yeah, I can show you a video <laughs> of the crane threading a 700kg oh. I-beam through the needle of a doorway. Oh. We were considering at one point taking out the window frame and cra- <laughs> craning, craning this beam through the windows. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, I, I did go for I did go for the taking out the walls because there's you know it's another contradiction of I wanted the space to be more generic, yeah, as well as more specific at yeah. the same time, yeah. So having that kind of tripartite arrangement, mm-hmm. like there's the kitchen, there's a kind of threshold, and there's the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and leaving the living space free and clear, almost. Mm-hmm. You do want to, as an idea, say that this space, if it wasn't me, if it was someone else, it would take a completely different shape. Yeah. Because when I say the one-bedroom apartment has been almost solved as, an, as a problem, mm-hmm. that's because your kind of layout is almost frozen. There's only one spot for each of your furniture items. Mm-hmm. And it only can be arranged this way. And it will look odd if you arrange it a different way. Yeah. Right? And yeah. the dining table can only go in one spot. Yeah. You don't have a workspace, basically. So a space should be generic. It's very hard for architects to maybe. It seems like um, mass housing is to some extent more designed mm-hmm. than higher end housing. So, the, you know, houses with a higher price tag. Yeah. They're not frozen. You can you can rearrange mm. the furniture. You sort of have a different dress almost as the seasons go. But for mass housing, it always seems like a frozen kind of layout. Yeah. So that's the idea that, you know, by taking out a wall, by putting that beam in, mm. I'm not thinking of just myself, but I'm maybe thinking of the next person mm. is when I when I first saw this apartment, I was like, oh, you know, that's, there was a bath. The bathroom was twice the size of what it is now. <laughs> I was like, what a luxury. The, bath, the bathroom takes up like one third of the apartment. Yeah. That is... That's huge. That's insane to me. Yeah. But it may come back again and, you know, what I've done may not seem that smart in 20, 30 years' time. Mm-hmm. So this idea that uh, I'm doing something that makes the apartment more generic. Mm. I'm touching structure. 
which is a bit ludicrous for an apartment building. Oof. But I'm touching structure and I'm making this space more generic for the next person who might want to live a different way. And at the same time, it's quite specific as well because the walls can move. They barely any walls yeah. <laughs> in the first place. The floor is lifted. Yeah. So we are rerouting um, plumbing pipes oh, underneath the floor. Yeah. So you do have that real flexibility in an apartment, which is very, very difficult to achieve. And so with the raising of the floor, yeah. there is also specificity. Like I can slide my shoes underneath the alcove in a very natural kind mm. of way. As you come in to the space, yeah. you don't have to think about it. There, there is an obvious place for your shoes and that's underneath mm-hmm. and tucked out of sight. I think I would also say that when you were redesigning the space, it's very reflective of your first comment about consider like zooming out and considering its neighbors as well because i'd like to think like apart from thinking ahead you're also designing the surrounds because again you had to put a beam in to compensate for that load bearing structure mm. as well because if not it could be a disaster without that wall i was so terrified because <laughs> you know i you know i designed the space as a graduate with very little experience yeah yeah Oh, wow. And apparently not uh, experienced enough to be risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, engineers, you follow your engineer's advice to the latter and, mm-hmm. you know, you obviously um, rely on them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there were, like eight, there were like eight people holding up the, the beam with a crane, the scissor lift to hold the beam oh and slide gosh. it into place. <laughs> Uh, you have your neighbors uh, standing on the sidewalk staring up it's like oh you know who's that crazy person trying to mess with the structure of the building and you go like yeah that, that person must be crazy I don't know what they were thinking <laughs> yeah so there's also like this uh, personal um, element to why the building is so attractive as well to me mm-hmm. um, I can remember like it, it's only in hindsight now that I even thought of why this build, particular building was so appealing because it's old yeah right it has you know notwithstanding like we can say it has character mm-hmm. but it's old meaning um it's single loaded you have this corridor there is a kind of outdated aspect to it but at the same time you know i can remember back home when we visit like the public housing yeah. complexes in malaysia mm-hmm. and there were always this um very sniffing idea of streets in the sky and you had this big corridor mm. where you know life tends to accumulate yeah precisely because the interiors were not very spacious mm. so the kids would all spill out into the corridor and play yeah and more importantly the neighbors cooking at you know mm. certain times of the day it will overpower the corridor <laughs> yes, it's open true. This single sided, single loaded corridor, mm-hmm. and as you pass each neighbor, you just this whiff of what the neighbor is cooking for that day. Yeah, and those are the kind of things I'm only now realizing that was so appealing about that space back then. Yeah, not just because of your know, idealism. Yeah, but it's kind of sensory um, nostalgia. Yeah, for visiting friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like the mom shouting across the, <laughs> the corridor to get the kids back to yeah. the dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And then beyond, there's this view of the playground. Mm-hmm. So from the kid, from the, you know, there's this depth to the spaces that is a kind of uh, zooming out again. Yeah. 
there's nothing to do you know I didn't design all of that I just now come to appreciate that I wasn't thinking about these things mm. but now I am yeah when I when I was figuring out why I like the space then would you say like apart from the whole nostalgia part then do you suppose culturally speaking because we're both from Asian backgrounds as well that has influenced the way you've designed the interior of this apartment so for context for those who are listening what we're current where we're currently being interviewed right now we are in your living room <laughs> yeah i'm just raising my eyebrows right now because i'm trying to find the space um mm-hmm. a living room slash study because i'm looking at your desk right now slash bed frame or like <laughs> the, <laughs> the panel of your bed slash storage yes <laughs> <laughs> So you start out with, you know, like hundreds of ideas and then you whittle down to what you can afford. But, the, you know, the idea is that mm-hmm. I do come from Asian background. We're not averse to sitting cross-legged on the floor. There's kind of the everyday feeling of, you know, it's more informal. Yeah. There's also the kind of more formal aspect to it of, you know, yeah, I have been in a space like this in a Japanese tea house mm-hmm. where we sit on a platform and look out towards the view. Yeah. And there's some kind of art <laughs> alcove yeah. behind us that changes depending on the season mm-hmm. something that feels natural yeah right? and so you don't get that in your standard one bedroom apartment mm. you don't even get that in sort of the newer more innovative apartments mm-hmm. because that aspect of culture of you know some people there are ablutions done in the collective space not yeah. just in the bathroom mm-hmm. that's where you put your shoes you know that's what you show and what you don't show so the aspect of culture really is um, a design yeah but don't deep within the structure of a design mm-hmm. you sort of you know you have to make do I don't know if it's the same everywhere else just going back to your past interviews you just talked quite a lot about the terminology of living a monastic life as well and so I think even going back to earlier when you were talking about how it sounds like you know some things are temporary because you talk about how you can pack up and then you can move to another place and then pre-lockdown <laughs> pre pre-lockdown pre-pandemic of course yeah and then also the fact about how the next person can occupy the space then I think that kind of influenced majority of your design decisions as well so especially like as I described earlier, I had to use the word slash is to describe where we're being recorded on. Mm-hmm. And so like coming back to the furniture aspects and the way you've divided the rooms and the spaces, how did you finalize in this type? Because evidently this is your home. And as I said earlier on, before I start this interview, how I said that this group is very reminiscent of Eileen Gray's 81027 mm-hmm. because it is designed for yourself. So things like... Uh... The kitchen cabinetry goes from eye level to the ceiling. That means that some shelves are going to be too tall for you to reach. Mm. So you have to come up with a way to reach them from the other side of the cabinet. <laughs> and then you're like, oh yeah, I'll just have a two-way cabinet in yeah. the kitchen, which is such a silly idea <laughs> when you're not looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, so if you don't have that length of kitchen, and I, I you know, I've had to spend more time in the kitchen than I thought I would mm. right because we all cook at home now and come to really enjoy that experience it is very small square meter right so 
instead of going the long kitchen bench, you go to the deep kitchen bench. Because when you prep, you lean in front rather than walk off to the side. There's a washing machine in the, in the apartment and that takes up a, a square meter rate. Mm. The washing machine does take up space, mm. but it is fully self-contained. This is a kind of prototype. And yeah, there are other things like uh, there's this weird Christopher Alexander kind of notion of you must be able to see two windows mm. from any point in the living space. Given the, the existing envelope, how do you be a scavenger and work out the best kind of arrangement yeah. for a space? Mm. Yeah. How do you make the wardrobe disappear? Like one thing from the Isocon flats that I really liked was because they're a furniture company that commissioned the Isocon flats. So then we think of treating the entire renovation as a single piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. So everything's in the plywood because that was all I could afford after the beam. But everything in plywood so that, you know, you do have that kind of seamless feeling between zones. Yeah. They're making everything sort of recede into its own space. Apart from that, we should say then, apart from the beam, like what other challenges do you have encountered when you were designing this? Yeah, this place is not as designed. I always thought that this would be the first one and I can make those mistakes and it wouldn't be detailed to that nth degree because you design as a graduate. You don't have that breadth of experience yet and if you did you might not be able to afford it the other thing is to you know do work myself that was another thing to consider the other challenge was maybe a lack of experience but the flip side that you do have the audacity that experience might take away from yeah so maybe you know a lot of things can be detailed better there is a certain aspect of Nusantara culture where you are kind of more gentle on the space you know there's this kind of hardwood underneath mm-hmm. and so you modulate your behavior because of that fragile kind of material something that I've done for myself that I wouldn't do for a client is like have that linoleum bench top which does accumulate marks from knives and drop them but that's some, something you know I can deal with I do have to watch my behavior it does make you slow down and treat the spaces a little bit more respect. It's relatable in a way that you can make a lot of memories. Like just suddenly, I just suddenly had this imagery of, you know, at uni, shouldn't really be saying this, but like, you know, cutting mats on a table, but not many people use cutting mats on the table when they forgot to bring cutting mats and then yeah. next thing, there's so many marks. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether I don't know whether it's nice to, to valorize that, but <laughs> the marks that a table at studio accumulate because of generations of students using it, but maybe not on no, no, no. your kitchen bench. Sure, no, maybe not. You know, this space mm-hmm. is a monastic space. It's a space for one mm-hmm. and the next two. But there is this kind of social potential as well. Like you know, we're sitting here and. It, it's not gonna feel like a bedroom. Hopefully, yes. it feels it feels like a living room. Yeah. Because there is the potential to free the room from furniture. Mm. Almost like there's just a horizontal plane. If we had three or four people come through the door now, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have to look for chairs, mm. right? We just all make our own space. I think it's uh, quite beautiful the way how you talked about that expression of freedom that you have when you're designing your own space. Also, we'll say it's like the way you've designed it as in that singular plane, it's just that 
I feel like for us, even as occupants in any space, we will always try to make do with what we've got anyway naturally. Mm-hmm. For instance, like if we see something that is raised, it's very normal for us to sit down on it, like even on the streets and we do find a spot that looks, I guess, habitable, then we can sit down on it even though it wasn't intentional at the yeah. first place. And I think that's what you've kind of done this. Yeah. type of layout it's about affordances right like mm. you know you, you you don't want to think about it you just want to do what feels natural to you so I guess it's not really an exploration or some deep idea it's just like you know you want to return to some basics mm-hmm. of how you occupy your space there's no complexity in, in spatial layout how would you see this space in a couple of years time because it has been several years now that you lived in here so like how has that changed mm. and what do you think that future of this space will be like if you do continue to live in here maybe as a side comment i wanted to capture yeah. my lifestyle at this particular point of time because mm-hmm. if i'm waited mm-hmm. you know the, the way i want to experience life is different therefore it will be a completely different kind of space um, I guess it's not a forever home in the sense that, you know, um, mm-hmm. people's lives expand and contract. Yeah. Their needs expand and contract. Mm. So in this scenario, there are transient people here. Mm-hmm. There are students. There are young adults. There are retirees. You know, this is their weekender. <laughs> Because they want to go to the theatre or they want to enjoy the city. But people's lives expand and contract. Mm. And so you want to... I thought, you know, I do want to test out ideas. Yeah. When I'm at that seedling kind of Mm. space Mm -hmm. of life. And I I do want to explore ideas for when I have a different stage. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, there there is a set of ideas that you want to explore at each point in time. Mm -hmm. As and when you can afford it. Yeah, you know, so it goes back to that original idea of this space. If you looked at the original layout, it would have been for nurses who worked in the hospital nearby. Mm -hmm. And they would have come from somewhere else and they're not here for long. So this is a space that could be a bit more thought of as a bit more transient, Mm. right? Because you're the the individual is the standard unit now, not the family. And the family home would have a completely different structure, a completely different set of requirements. Mm. And even the lessons that I learned here, maybe I can suggest to someone else in the future mm. of how to make that family home more efficient or, mm. you know, prioritize your connections as opposed to your things yeah. or space, yeah. right? Do you suppose then this has also influenced the way you've designed for your other clients like at work? What I suggest and what gets what feedback gets returned to me is two completely separate things. So people look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so that's <laughs> an example I can give. Yeah, you get you get funny looks when you tell people that if you have a smaller slice of toast, you can spread more butter on it. Well, surface area to volume ratio. <laughs> I'm speaking from a scientific point of view. Yeah, surface area to volume ratio. Yes, that yeah. logic does apply. <laughs> but I don't think people can visualize it. Like who struggles to visualize the aspects? Yeah. So you you know you do have to cater for you know the ultimately you know I give people what they want yeah. and what they tell me that they want yeah I don't second guess people's psychology 
I guess you can make it ideological. Mm-hmm. You can make it technical. I guess <laughs> you can make it aesthetic. Mm. You do your own um, place. You, you sort of have to make a decision of what is your, ooh, what avenue are you trying to explore. Sure. Yeah, it's a very different environment. I think again, designing for yourself first, designing for other people are two trajectories. I guess it's how you talk to people to get them to understand. And I think it also takes people to be in the space as well to understand the philosophy mm. of things that would say. Because um, again, I first came across this apartment uh, through the design motive when they first talked about this apartment. And that's how I became very curious about this space. And I think that was also at the height when tiny, like small living started becoming quite popular as well. Yes. <laughs> There's a direct correlation between the popularity of tiny spaces, tiny homes, caravans, when house prices are accelerating at mm. breakneck speed. Mm. Yeah. So I understand that. You do want to see what alternatives are available and people sort of, uh, you know, uh, have a have a kind of crisis of, you know, do I write this way or do I look for alternatives, mm-hmm. right? A lot of the time is that initial conversation with people who get in touch and they're like, oh, I want to do something similar. And you ask some questions about the way people live and the way they vision their space to be like. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of talk yourself out of a project oh, no. when, you, when you realize what they actually want. So that happens quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more about your observations as well because probably like it, it's a bit of a reality check. To be honest, it might sound a little bit defeating, but I think sometimes, as much as we like to have something like you know what we generally see in publications, you know those glossy images of the really nice details and such, but underneath it, there's also that reality as well, like. When you're designing your own home, you do have to be realistic about as much as the freedom you've got, but you still have that limitations of what you can work with. Mm. So I think the way you're describing is that I think, unfortunately, currently right now, this is what people are prioritizing. And so therefore, we're kind of going towards that trajectory, I would say. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's not... It's not completely dire and dystopian. <laughs> you know, like, you, you think of some of the best living experiences some people have had is when they were in student accommodation, yeah. when they were in share houses, yeah. precisely because of that real clash between your private space and your social space because they are, like, a wall, a wall distance apart. Mm-hmm. That kind of friction and clash mm. not necessarily a bad thing yeah right mm-hmm. so I, I don't know I think to wrap up this conversation perhaps something to challenge you or, or some fruitful thought wrapping up this conversation that is like I think it's a cliche but if you have an opportunity to do this all over again mm-hmm. two things would you and anything you would like to do differently yes Definitely. <laughs> Choose better fixtures, not cheap ones. Do it once, do it right. Yeah. <laughs> Spend more money. Do you think a different location would also change the way 
this layout would it be or yeah definitely um, I have a multitude all of the failed designs that were count mm. based on different models and ideas mm. yeah well who knows I mean you did say it's not your cabinet has just in quotes, a bachelor's lifestyle right now. This place <laughs> potentially, if you do move into another one somewhere, I think the sketches could be brought back and it could be realized once more, perhaps. Yes. You have to make every design outcome be generated from the space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for A, being very generous and letting me come here to interview you, and even for your time today. Just sharing about the thoughts. Thank you. This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our guest in this episode, Douglas Wan from WHDA Design and Architecture. We're very grateful for your time and we can't wait to see the future projects you design for your clients and also for yourself down the road. Our sponsor Brickworks also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy, and the Imagine production team was Cassia Ward, Hilary Duff, Kimberly Huey, and Max Legal White. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.